The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Let's take our Bible this morning and turn to Acts chapter 8. So let's look at Acts chapter 8 together. And then begin reading in verse number 1. We read here, And Saul was consenting unto his death. Of course, we're talking here about the death of Stephen. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women committed them to prison. Therefore, verse 4, they, were, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Let's pray. Father, thank you now for this time we have together. I pray that you would use the words that will be spoken this morning to be a benefit to us, to encourage us, to remind us of some things, and help us, Father, to serve you and love you as we should. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The, the persecution of the church was to, in some degree necessary. It was a necessary problem to, in, 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 in a, some sense, scatter the, the church abroad, to push the people out of their comfort zones, to push the people out of, their, out of their, their place of comfort and ease and force them to go go other places and preach the gospel. The Great Commission, which was given to us, has a, a lot of purpose and intent, as is the case with all things of God. The Great Commission was given with a specific purpose and intention, and this lends itself to the fact that the Great Commission has an identifiable nature. And this morning, I want to talk about that. We've discussed so far in this study, we've looked at the expectations that are placed within the Commission, and and as we said, God does have expectations. He expects that we will go, Not, not just sit in the church and wait for for people to come to us, but we are to go out into the, into the highways and hedges, the Bible says, into the community. We're to, go, we're to go in our workplace. We're to go at the grocery store. We're to go everywhere around us. Uh, but, but not only does God, is an, an expectation that we will go in the commission, there's also an expectation that when we go, we will preach and that, that we will preach the gospel. So we need to educate ourselves and we need to, we need to take the time to, to understand the gospel message and, and its purpose and intent. And we need to become eloquent, if you will, at, at giving the gospel to those around us. And so we're to go and we're to preach the gospel. And then the Bible encourages us through the Great Commission, the expectation that we will teach. And that's what we're doing this morning. We're gathering together to teach to those that have believed, to teach the truth of the word of God, to, to equip them to, for the work of the ministry. So there were expectations. We discussed, of course, the empowerment, the empowering force in the commission. And we talked about, of course, that is Jesus Christ, our, our Savior and our Lord. And we, we, we noted two undeniable and unquestionable um, things that, that give Christ that authority. One is that he is the sovereign God and the creator God, and therefore he has power and authority over all things. And secondly, he is our sacrifice. He gave himself for us, a living sacrifice, that, that we would be redeemed under the Father. Therefore, we are a purchased possession, and he is the owner of that possession, and therefore has the authority, the power to direct us as he sees fit. 
Then we, we talked thirdly about the effectualness of the commission and the, 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 the effectuality of the commission, that it will perform that which God has ordained it to, to do. Uh, the Great Commission was put, was put forth by Christ, and the purpose was to redeem the, the, the lost, to redeem the elect saints of God, and that purpose will be met. It shall be met. Uh, and it's God's intent and purpose that we are the, are the tool that is used to, to spread that gospel. And that is our responsibility. And then we looked next at the augmentation of the commission, and we talked about some things there. Um, last time we spoke, we talked about the, the uh, exponentiality of the membership of the church, and we talked about the, the uh, establishment of the ministry. And I mentioned that just because a church forms doesn't mean that it's a ministry. Uh, to be a ministry, one must, a, a church must obey the Lord, must submit to his will, and must do the things that God has ordained that we do. And there are far too many churches in America today doing, doing things that others would consider good, but yet they're leaving off the important things that God has ordained that we should do. So these are the things that we have to pay attention to. So today I'd like to look at number five on this study, and that is the altruistic nature of the commission, the altruistic nature of the commission. Now, the definition of the word altruist is, is self-denial. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's not having any, any importance in itself, but having importance in, in, the, in the purpose uh, that you are serving. So the altruistic nature of the commission. And as I mentioned already, as is the case in all things with God, the Great Commission does have specific purpose and intention. Therefore, it has an identifiable nature. And, of course, since the Great Commission is from the Lord, the nature of this commission will agree with the nature of God. So we, we must remember that. This is without argument. We can't argue the fact that the nature contained within the Great Commission is equivalent to the nature of, the, of God, the man who has, uh, who has ordained and put forth this commission. It's without fallibility. There's no error in the Great Commission. If the Great Commission isn't working, it's not God's fault. It's our fault. So we need to understand that. All that God intends to do through the Great Commission shall be done. And it shall be accomplished through the obedience of his elect saints. The commission, the Great Commission was not given to a group of, of unsaved people. It was given to Christian people. It was given to the apostles. And, and God intends that his, that his children, that you and I will be the, the, the instruments which will fulfill the Great Commission in our lifetime. This we can affirm. But the manner in which we conduct ourselves in this labor is equally of extreme importance. Why do we go? How shall we preach? What will we teach? These things are important, and we must understand them. They're of great importance to God. Therefore, they should equally be of great importance to us. So this morning, I'd like to take just a few moments and examine the manner in which we should fulfill this calling of the Lord this great commission given us by God. What, what, what should be our attitude? What should be our approach in this work that God has given us? Well, let me begin with number one and say that it is an act of sacrificial love. The purchasing of our redemption was an act of sacrificial love. Jesus dying on the cross was an act of sacrificial love. And you and I serving God by fulfilling the great commission in our lives is also 
it takes an act of sacrificial love. Let's turn together to John chapter 15, if you would. John chapter 15, and we'll begin reading at verse number 12. Gospel of John chapter 15, beginning at verse 12. We read here, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Let me stop there for a moment and remind us that this is a commandment of God. Jesus didn't say, I tell you what, I'd really like it if you could learn to love one another. He didn't say that. He said, this is my commandment. You understand what the word commandment means? It means it's an order. There's no latitude in there. Jesus said, this you are to do. That you are to love one another as I have loved you. Verse 13, greater love hath no man than this. That a man laid down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, verse 14, if ye do whatsoever I command you. So here we see that Jesus commands us to love one another. And this involves our unsaved neighbor as well as our saved brethren. That commandment given by Jesus that we love one another is not limited only to those who are members of the church. It's not limited to only those who profess to know Christ. We are commanded to love all men. We don't know uh, of all the men out there. We don't know who are the elect. And it's not for us to determine that. We're not to go out into our community and look at the people around us and try to decide whether or not they are elect children of God. That is God's... uh, private knowledge and not for you and I. We'll know this once they make a profession. But we, God, Jesus doesn't want us to just be, be um, limited in our love to only those that, that are his children. He wants us to love all men. I grow weary in our society today at, at the way so many Christians will look down their nose at other people. Can I remind you, but for the grace of God, you would be condemned to hell yourself? We look at young people walking down the street, and they don't look like we think they ought to look, so we develop an attitude about them. But that's not for us to do. Now, we're certainly to hate sin, but you know what happens too often in God's children? We, 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 we hate the sin, but we hate the sinner as well. There's a, there's a sinner behind, there's a person behind that sin, and Jesus wants us to love them. It's not for us to condemn them. I'm not, I'm not their judge. If I, was, if I paid attention to myself and judged my own heart and my own motives and my own intentions and my own lifestyle, I'd be so busy I wouldn't have time to look at anybody else's intention or, or heart or anything else. We're to love. It's, it's, it's an act. Obeying God in his great commission is an act of sacrificial love by you and I. Loving those that are around us. There are many attributes that could be used to describe the depth of Jesus' love for us. Unconditionally, eternally, completely. But the one I choose to focus on this morning is the attribute used by Jesus here in John chapter 15. Where he stated, greater love hath no man than this, that a a man laid down his life for his friends. Now does that mean that today that 
we, the only way we can show that we love people is to give up our physical lives, to die physically for other people? No, that's not what he's talking about. But we're not to die, we're not to die physically, but we are to die in a spiritual sense. Just as Jesus sacrificed his life on Calvary for you and I, so we too must sacrifice our life for those around us. We need to be willing to, to give up those comforts we have. We need to be willing to give up our, our desires and our wishes and, and sacrifice the time it takes to study and, and, and to prepare and to plan and to go out and to, to witness for Christ. Now, this is a task far too great for moral man to accomplish. However, when we come to the place where we submit ourselves, heart, body, and soul, to the will of the Father, it is then that God fills us with the resolve to obey him in this area at all costs. Even even if necessary, the cost of our life. You know, there are still people in this world in this time that lose their physical life for Christ. There are, there are still countries where that happens. Thankfully, here in America, they don't crucify, they don't, they don't kill Christians anymore. We don't know how long that's going to hold together, but right now it's, it's, it's not that way. But even the cost of our own life, and, and not necessarily by our physical death, but by our living sacrifice unto God and his will. You, you, let me remind you what the word of God talk, says about this, about this, about this matter of God's children sacrificing their life on the field of, of soul winning and reaching others. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, this is scriptures everyone knows. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy Acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A living sacrifice. God wants us to be a living sacrifice unto him. But we're too busy in America for that. We're too busy taking care of business. We're too busy taking care of our jobs. We're too busy uh, providing, uh, paying our mortgages. We're too busy uh, putting money into our nest eggs, our IRAs, so that we can retire in comfort and ease. We're too busy. We're too busy for the cares and concerns of life to sacrifice our life. Yet, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, Sonoma County is yet to be seen what can be done by a man who will totally sacrifice himself to God? Because though there are many men in this area, and I'm not saying there aren't, that, that lead sacrificial lives and serve the Lord, there is none of us that can stand and say, I have surrendered all to Christ. None of us can stand as the Apostle Paul did and boast that we have given everything in our life to God and we are, we are going about with one intention, and that is to serve the Lord. We all have little things that we place above God. We all have little things that, that we hold on to that cause us to, to not be what we ought to be for God. And any man sitting here right now who thinks that's not so is deceiving himself in his heart. We all lack that total commitment to God. 
Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul writes, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, I'm, I'm dead. The old man is dead. He's been, he's been buried in, 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 a, in, a, uh, in a sense. And the life that I live right now is the life of Jesus Christ lived through me. You know, I'm glad Paul could say that because I can't. I wish that were true. I really do. I wish that were true, but it's not. Because we all, as I said already, we all have those little things that we hold on to that we don't give up. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, Paul writes, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body. Whoa, you, you see that? Magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Listen, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but is your life magnifying Christ? Is Christ magnified in your life? I can't answer for you, but I can answer for me. Maybe at times he is, but not all the time. Maybe at times I, I do the right things, and, but there are times when I don't do the right things. And it's those times that, that hurt our efforts the most. You know, you can, you can live righteous for 99 days, and on the 100th day you can mess up. And do you know what? Very few people are going to recognize the 99 days you, worked, you, you did right. They're going to focus on the one day you messed up. Huh? Isn't that true? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, Paul writes, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And, he that, and, and that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Oh boy, what are we going to do with that verse? This verse is telling us that Jesus didn't die for all, that we should, that we should uh, live for ourselves. He didn't die so that we can, we can be free to do our thing, to do whatever we want. To set our own schedule and decide when we will and will not serve him. He died so that we would live for him. So that he would have the authority in our life to tell us what we can and cannot do. So that he would have the authority in our life to tell us where we can and cannot go. So that he would have the authority in our lives to tell us when and when we will not serve him. So we see here that... That um, Paul is stressing to you and I that the life which we now live is not our own life. It's not for us to choose. It's for God to choose what we do. Praise the Lord for, for the jobs he gives his people that we can go out and earn money so that we can pay our bills, so that we can, we can support the church, so that we can take care of our families. But that's not why we're here. That's not our purpose in life. Thank God for children. I love children. I love my children. And, and I, I've done everything I can to this point in their lives to provide for them and give them every opportunity 
to do right. But you know what? That's not the focus of my life. My, my, my focus in life is not to make sure that, that I give my children everything they need. I need to show my children as I raise them, I need to show them that God is most important in our lives and we must serve him at all costs. Apart from Christ the Lord, none of us, none of us in this room would even care about the soul of another person. Don't deceive yourself into thinking, oh, I'm such a good person because I care about the lost people. You wouldn't care about... Let let me ask you a question. Before you were saved, did you care about lost people? Did you even know that there were lost people? No. Before I got saved, I could care less whether a man was going to heaven or not. I wasn't concerned about that. I could care less. It was God that created the hunger in my, in my heart and soul. It was God that woke up that, that altruistic nature in my heart. It was God that gave me a compelling desire to see people saved. So first this morning, we, we see that we are compelled to exhibit sacrificial love for the lost in our life. But then secondly, I want us to see that the nature that we have through the Great Commission is the offering of a selfless life. Not only a sacrificial love, but a selfless life. Let's turn together to Philippians chapter 2. You're in Acts, so just a, a few books toward the back of the Bible. Philippians chapter 2. And we'll begin reading from Philippians chapter 2 at verse number 1. We read here, if, there, if therefore be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now, you know, we live in such a selfish society today. This is a very selfish world. The mantra of this world is, look out for numero uno. And to a certain degree, we we all have fallen into that. Jesus, or Paul writes here through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that, that we're to esteem others better than ourselves. Now don't raise your hands here and, and don't 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 say amen, but have you ever looked at another person and thought, boy, I sure am a lot better than that person. And if you say no, you're lying. Because deep within us is pride. And if we, even if we don't want to admit it, we have the attitude at times that I'm better than that person over there. I mean, we look at someone who, who does some heinous crime. And we sit in our living rooms and we say, boy, I'm so much better than that person is. Truth of the matter is, you aren't. Maybe by, maybe by worldly standards you are. Maybe by man's standards you are. 
But are you any better than, than they are by God's standards? God is not a respecter of persons. See, we do things in our life. We do things, say, for our church. And in doing those, we, we start getting puffed up and thinking, boy, I'm such a righteous person. I tithe, every, I tithe every payday, boy, I'm such a good, God must be so pleased and happy with me. Huh? We can clean up nice, make ourselves presentable. And, and so we think that we're better than all those other people who, who don't meet our standards of expectations. But the truth of the matter is, we're supposed to, we're supposed to esteem, we're supposed to, in our heart, Think and consider that everyone else is better than me. Paul said, Paul declared himself to be the chief of sinners. Now, we, we know and understand that's not necessarily so. Judas was a much worse sinner than Paul in our minds, right? But in Paul's mind, he was, he was the chiefest of sinners. He was, he was worse than everybody else around him. And, you know, if we, if we don't develop that attitude, then we're going to begin to get haughty and pride and proud. We're to esteem others better than ourselves. We're, we're to have a selfless life. We're, we're, not, we're not to demand our, necessarily demand our way. We're not, you know, we're not kids on the school ground who goes off in the corner and pouts if he doesn't get to play the game he wants to play. We're to have a selfless love. Paul reminds us, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let me ask you a question. When you sit down at your home at night and you, you have your dinner on the table... Hopefully you pray for that food and thank God for it. But do you sit there and do you feel a certain sense of gratitude because you have what you need? But some brother that you know or some brother or sister you know that lacks in, in things they need, you, you don't, even, don't even have any concern for? Now, I'm not trying to browbeat us into thinking we're bad people, although we are. The evil lies in the heart of man. The ability to do wicked things rests in every one of us. It's but by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to control those. We're to, we're to look for the things of others. If God blesses us with, with a plethora of, of, of goods in our life, and we know of Christian brothers or Christian sisters, or not even Christian, we just know of people who, who, who are suffering do we share those things? Do we look to their needs? Do we go to them and, 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 and help them? See, that's, that's the attitude that, that, that God wants us to have. It's the selflessness. That's, that's unselfish attitude. Many with no apparent agenda go about their life as if there is no heaven to gain or hell to pay. Oblivious to the needs of the people around them unconcerned about the results of their apathy, the results of their complacency, thinking only of their own needs. Now, I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not saying you're to neglect your needs, the needs of your wife and your children and your home. Don't neglect those. But I'm talking about when God gives you more than you need, and he will. If, you, if you've got this kind of attitude, God will give you much more than you need because he knows you'll share it with those around you. We're to have that attitude of selflessness. 
when we, again, when we come to the place where we submit ourselves to the will of the, of the Lord in the Great Commission, we will have the ability to live this selfless life. But as long as we are resistant to God's will, as long as we are resistant to the nature of, of, of God, the nature of the, of the Great Commission, which is to go and preach the gospel and, and to, to, to teach those that we, that we win to the Lord and, and to lead, live our life and lead by example, when we fail in that area, we won't experience that driving need to turn around and help those around us. It's like a man or, or a woman involved in a shipwreck, and, and they, they reach the shore to safety, and they turn around and see those behind them who need help, and they say, well, someone will help them. Yeah, you, get out there and help them. You say, I might, I might, I might die trying to help a drowning person reach safety, then, then so be it. Get out there and, 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 and witness to the, to the lost in our community. Get out there and, and lead them to an understanding of God. Lead, live a life of, of righteousness. Live a life of purity that, that speaks the gospel to those around you. Not simply concerned about them, but doing something about that concern. The altruistic nature of the Great Commission will compel us to exhibit sacrificial love for the lost. It will drive us to live unselfishly and look to the needs of others who are lost. But then lastly this morning, I want us to see that it is, it is a commitment of sanctified liberty. I'd like to turn to, now, if we could, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And you know, folks, I just want to interject here. One of the hardest things about teaching these kind of things is the, the, the danger that you will come across to those that you are teaching as someone who is perfect in all these areas. I do not stand here this morning and profess to you that I have mastered all of these things. In fact, I'll stand here this morning and tell you that I'm preaching to myself, that, that I have to learn these things myself. But these are things that, that, that the Holy Spirit has taught me that I want to share with you. There are urgent needs in our Christian society today. The commitment of sanctified liberty. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's start reading at verse 16. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. Here he's talking about the, the liberties that we have as Christians. Verse 19, for though I be free from all men... Yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I may gain them that are without law. (laughs) To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save more. And this I do for the gospel's sake, 
that I might be partaker thereof with you. Do you, do you see in those verses the altruistic nature <laughs> of the Apostle Paul? He stated, though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all. Now the grace of God has set Paul free. It has freed him from the law. It has freed him from guilt. It has freed him from religious sanctimony. However, Paul did not view his liberty as a release from the responsibility to his fellow man. Rather, he viewed this liberty as a greater obligation to preach the gospel to all men. He realized that it was his responsibility to go, that it was his responsibility to preach, that it was his responsibility to teach. Paul said, to those that are weak, I don't, I don't tout my strength, but I approach them as, as one who is weak, and I gain their trust and confidence, and I gain my brother in Christ. To those, to those that are, are without, I don't, I don't go to them as someone haughty and, and, and righteous, but I go to them as one who was without, as one who needed Christ. As one who found Christ through, through the gospel, uh, uh, through the preaching of the gospel. And, and provide them with an opportunity also to hear the gospel and hear the truth. That's, that was the nature of Paul. That was the attitude of Paul. He didn't, he didn't sit back and say, well, you know, I'm saved, so who cares? I, I, I'm going to heaven, so if that guy over there isn't, that's his problem. That wasn't Paul's attitude. He didn't, he didn't take his liberty and use it as so many Christians do. Abusing it, I should say. Not using their liberty, but abusing their liberty. Are you guilty today of abusing the liberties you have under the gospel, the liberties that you have in Christ Jesus? I, I, I dare to say that many of us, if not all of us, at times in our life are guilty of abusing the liberty we have. Paul suffered so greatly in his life. You and I will never suffer the way Paul suffered. You and I will never go through the things that Paul went through. Yet we, in our life, often abuse the liberties that God has given us under, under his grace. Today, as we sit in this church, we have not been given liberty to live sanctimonious, selfish lives. We have been given the grace of God. And this grace enables us to live right in the righteousness which we find in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this truth has empowered us. It has empowered us to live and walk in holiness. Something which we cannot do without the grace of God. So that we will be effective witnesses for Christ and his glorious gospel in our community. Even, and yes, even in our church. You know, we don't, we don't live a certain way to impress each other. At least we shouldn't. But we should live righteous lives. Because there are, there are eyes on the other side of the building watching us. Young eyes. And do you understand and realize that by nature... Each generation 
drifts a little farther away from God. And if we sit in this, in this room and, and abuse our liberties to, to watch what we want to watch on TV without any, any feeling of guilt, to, to go where we shouldn't go, so, well, I'm just going to have a hamburger or I'm just going to have some hot wings. Well, do you need to go to a place where the bodies of those around you are flaunted as you're eating your food? Do you need to go to a place where men and women are sitting in a bar and, and, and reveling in all these things while you, while you sit there and watch a football game or, or eat a rib or a hot wing? You see... You'd say, well, there's nothing sinful in that. Well, I would beg to disagree with you, but at the very least, it's an abuse of our liberties. We need to, we need to clean up. And you know what? Nice, soft teaching isn't going to get the job done. We need to hear the truth. And the truth is, we need to get right with God. So what about it? What about you and I today? Are we right with God? Would you, be, would you have all the confidence you need right now to stand in front of God and say, shoot away, Lord, or give me a question. What do you want to know? Examine my life, Lord. Judge it. Go ahead. Test it, Lord. Go ahead. Go ahead. I couldn't. You know, I dread that day. I dread the day I have to stand in judgment before God. Not for my soul, but for my sin. For the, for the life I've led as his child. If we are right with God, then we will be busy about the business of serving the Lord. I have to stop because I could go for another hour. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Use your word to, to instruct us. Use your word to encourage us. Thank you for this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.